Hello, and welcome to Strategic Insights Podcast, brought to you by Strategic Enhancement Group. I'm Susan Hall, Vice President of Business Development and Performance Improvement. And today I'm really excited to be joined by my colleague and one of our most senior consultants, Janice Lipsitz. Janice was former head of global talent development at two uh, large multinational companies, including high tech and healthcare. And she's now a senior facilitator for both in-person and virtual training with Strategic Enhancement Group. She and I have worked together for Gosh, Janice, it's hard to believe, but about 25 years, and I consider her um, one of my favorite thought leaders to consult with. Uh, she's a senior consultant, a client, and also a friend. Janice, it's great to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me, Susan. I'm really excited to contribute to the conversation here. Yes, well, and we know from our research and experience that the ideal learning process uh, includes components both before, during, and after, and ideally brings colleagues together at some point, not only to learn the skills from a, you know, what, what is ideally a professional facilitator, but also from each other. But there's the perfect world and there's the real world. And sometimes, whether it's due to travel or budget restrictions, events are such that companies can't physically bring their people together to develop their skills. Yet the business issues and the performance gaps that that training is designed to address have not gone away. So the question that we want to address today is, how does our organization retain and develop talent that we need to achieve our goals, objectives, and initiatives when travel restrictions, budget limitations are in play. So luckily we know from experience that there are quality creative options available in this case. And many companies are, look to virtual or e-learning as a solution to develop talent when this happens. Now, there's advantages and disadvantages to that. So let's first talk about the downside because it is a reality. And Janice, I know you've implemented numerous global virtual training solutions, and I've also consulted with organizations about this. What are some of the concerns and fears that you think learning and development and sales leaders have with virtual training? Well, that's a, a great question. And you know, you mentioned before, during, and after as a framework to structure you know, effective virtual learning. Um, and with that as context, I could start with a story way back when we were first entering into the virtual learning world and trying to, you know, navigate best practices. Um, and boy, that class experience remained with me because it was so painful. The, the unanticipated issues um, took away, uh, I'd say, about 25% of a two-hour plan training. Um, yeah, it was, it was really challenging. Um, people came into the virtual classroom really unprepared. They'd never used the technology. And I think we underestimated the level of confusion and disruption that it was going to cause. Um, I think also, you know, when you have an in-person training, there's usually a leader or somebody who will stand up and set the context of why, you know, this training is occurring and in this case, people jumped onto the call. There was really not context set um, beyond an invitation. So there was a lot of questions about, you know, how does this really relate to our real worlds? And it was a global call. So there were significant language barriers that weren't planned for before the call. And, and lastly, I think we, we just underestimated how challenging it would be to facilitate, you know, meaningful dialogue. Mm. 
I can imagine that added to your stress as a leader in the business. Uh, well, yeah. So the answer to your question about some of my fears as a leader in the business, you know, responsible for, for training, um, you know, some painful lessons came out of it. First of all, all the time and resources to develop that training in-house was daunting. I mean, we, we brought a lot of people together. We pulled, um, you know, input from the participants. Um, but in the end, because of the disruptions, the return on investment wasn't there. Mm. And, you know, our, our stakeholder, our sales leader, and the people that were on the call on the training didn't feel it was worth their time. Um, we could have just sent a PowerPoint out and, and oh. easily accessed yeah, that's painful. Yeah. So, and then, you know, you never want to have an unhappy business leader because you lose your credibility, right? So um, taking time away from sales, you never want to hear that. No. Um, and last, I think a big fear of mine always that I keep in mind is I have a budget to spend and I need to make sure I spend that budget and do it in a way that delivers quality, you know, return on investment. So it's a use it or lose it. Um, so if I don't, if I lose the, the, the spend, then next year, I don't get that much into my budget. So I have to make sure that I, when I do use it, it's really effective and it drives the outcomes and, and gets to, is seen as a smart investment. Right. So let's talk about that then. And, and one of the things that I've learned to make virtual learning a, a smart in, investment is that really the number one thing that I've learned is it requires a very different type of design and facilitation. You can't just expect to deliver your face-to-face -face training online and have it work. It, it will fail. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go through. So from your perspective, Janice, what are a few of the lessons learned that you think our listeners would be interested in hearing? Well, lots. <laughs> There's a lot. Um, but for the time purposes today, let's focus on three best practices. Um, first of all, how to engage your audience and really hold on to those learners' attention. It's really easy for them to get distracted and jump off, you know, and check their emails, et cetera. So, you know, you have to understand and make clear the goals of the training and how they align with the company. Um, but also really important how it aligns to their day-to-day -day realities. So really early on in that training, you've got to design a, a quick engagement dialogue where people go, ah, I understand why what we're about to learn is going to help me be more effective with this challenge that I'm facing. Um, so also, I think, you know, developing a sense of ownership um, with leader involvement so ideally, if leaders um, as part of the team that's being trained can be involved to, to transfer that sense of ownership that this is important, this isn't just you know, a training endeavor, but this is a business commitment that we're making to, to get better at what we're trying to accomplish. So in addition to leader ownership, it's really critical to have uh, the facilitation of peer-to-peer -peer learning. And there's some great tools that many of the platforms have that allow peer-to-peer -peer learning. And you could also use chat capabilities, other tools um, that really enable peer-to-peer -peer learning. Um, and also, you know, there's just a plethora of tips and tricks that facilitators could use. I won't cover all of them, but, you know, ideally, we always recommend 15 or fewer participants. Right. To, to ensure that engagement, engagement occurs, Susan. And I know, you know, you're really 
great in partnering with our clients to make sure we help educate them on those, you know, making smart decisions of how many people join. You could use tools like polls and chatting capabilities to draw the group in, um, breakout room technology. Um, also, a, a really important tip is to be really clear on timing that you spend on each slide. There's best practices that say, you know, no more than 45 seconds or a minute on each slide and no more than a minute and a half between the time that you speak and your learners contribute something, whether it's a poll or add a chat or contribute in some way so that we're always soliciting active engagement of the learners. Yeah, you know, I've seen you keep the sessions we've done virtually really fast paced and interactive and they're always engaged. They're always doing some kind of an activity. It's uh, it's difficult to hide, I think, which many people tend to tend to do on virtual. They're 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 fully, you know, diving in with their sleeves rolled up. So that's that's the kind of energy that you want to create on a virtual, and you do you do such a good job with that. You know, I know um, we had talked, Janice, about the second best practice, and behavior change doesn't happen as a result of a one-time event. It takes a very well thought out um, process in terms of what we do before, during, and after the learning to make sure that people are comfortable and practicing and using the skills. Can you talk a little bit about the process you've seen succeed with virtual development? Yeah, absolutely. And and I agree wholeheartedly, whether it's in, you know, live instructor led in a classroom versus uh, virtual, this principle applies. And so, you know, launching the learning in the context of a process where people understand that we're going to be endeavoring on an on-the-job action learning type of effort where there's manager support involved. So, for example, um, you know, sending pre-readings to prime the pump and show up contributing when you do come into the virtual learning event. Um, is one best practice where you would do before, as well as having some sort of a, you know, context setting on why we're doing this. So ensuring real world application is so important. So in that before, you know, really guiding learners through a communication to bring real world experience, real world scenarios into the learning environment. Mm -hmm. So when they do come onto the training, the virtual call, that the skills they're learning, they can apply real time um, to that scenario that they're faced with. Also, another best practice is, you know, to mix that um, virtual with instructor-led. So right. you might do some pre-reading, you might have virtual, and then come into a face-to-face. -face. Um, also, coaching as part of the process to ensure adoption. So ensuring that if your learners are learning a new skill, that managers are brought into the fold, they understand what those skills are, and they could set expectations and coach to those new behaviors, because these days, we're usually not training to anything that's useless, right? We're, we're very targeted in the skills we're training to. So we want to make sure that managers understand what their teams are being taught, so they could coach and support and ensure the adoption of those new skills into their real world every day, and people feel supported. Right. And, right. you know, Susan, I think um, our work together last year with uh, with a global client is a really good example. Maybe you could walk through specifics of how we took that one on. 
Right. Yeah, that that was really cool. And this was with a global tech company that was had a business imperative to move from kind of a tech out to more of a customer focused type of an organization. And they had their participants were all over the world, all different time zones. So it was certainly impossible to bring them together. A lot of them worked virtually. So we laid out a process that that evolved over time, but it, it was about a six month process, you know, starting with the pre-reads, as you had discussed, some pre-work, then bringing them together virtually. Um, we had some very engaging breakouts where they were having discussions about their pre-reads, about what was going on in the marketplace, came back, shared them. We captured them all on a virtual whiteboard. And then, then they would walk out of the first virtual session with some very specific action items so that they could take their learning and apply it on the job. So there was the on the job component. We brought them back to a virtual um, this particular organization did have uh, an instructor-led part of the process, but I think there were three or four virtual components, all with on-the-job, all with uh, pre-work and action. And they, as a result of this, built their collaboration globally and shared insights and best practices that they adopted, not only internally, but from the marketplace. And as a result, saw their customer satisfaction scores, you know, soar from the 70s to the low 90s within a very short period of time. So that was that was a true testament to the impact of what can be done virtually when you've got a well thought out process. It was pretty cool. You know, it was it was exciting to see those results. And I just want to add again back to that that leader manager involvement and ownership. It was so present there, which really added to right. I think, the outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. They were very committed. Definitely. Mm -hmm. So what else? We've talked about three best practices. One is engaging your audience, your participants. The second is having a well thought out process in place, ideally with some sort of blended process. Uh, what about the third best practice? So Susan, the, the third best practice was the one that was most painful in the story I told earlier. And uh, it really helped me get clear on some best practices around creating a productive and comfortable online learning experience. Um, and that means just making sure the learners can contribute comfortably. And some examples of that are, first of all, you know, you've got to have a professional facilitator who really knows how to communicate effectively with virtual learners um, to help stop participants from checking out. And, and that's, there's lots under, you know, to unpack underneath that concept, but it's things like you've got to be confident as a facilitator with the tools, first of all, right. so that you're not distracted with the technology and you could really focus on the content. And, and ideally having a, a co-facilitator who's responsible for managing the technology um, allows, again, for the facilitator to really focus on the, on the content and managing the people side of the, biz, of the, the training. Yeah. Can I add something to that, Janice? Because I know yeah. when I when I work virtually with a client, that is always my number one concern is I'm usually working with their platforms. And even though, you know, I practice it, you know, I, I get online, you know, get online initially before all of the participants are there, but have a tech person 
um, at, on standby to be able to help you. I remember one time I was giving a virtual presentation to a group of 14 senior executives and it was their platform. I was all set to go. And partway through one of the participants put the call on hold and we were listening to whole music for a good five minutes. It was painful. The CEO was livid. So just, you know, remembering to remind people <laughs> how to use the technology, not to put on hold, et cetera, just handling the, the technological piece of it so that as a facilitator and participants, you're all comfortable. Absolutely. And I, I won't go into details, but I've heard other disruptive sounds that could you know, <laughs> really doom a call. So um, really good point. Confidence with the tools also is critical for the learners. And that was something we really learned in that that doomed call. I told you about the training where we lost 25% of the time. We, we underestimated the discomfort that people had with the tools and things as simple as, you know, answering a poll, typing into the chat, um, white, writing on a whiteboard, all of those are, you know, skills that not a lot of people have experienced, even today with ILT, virtual ILT or instructor-led training in, you know, that's been in the works for some time. So being able to uh, spend some time up front educating the learners on how to use the tools, um, let them practice it a little bit so that they feel really confident when it does come time for them to go ahead and and contribute using the tools. So that's really key best practice. So in addition to, you know, confidence in the tools, um, you want to be able ha to have a facilitator who can identify disruptive behavior. Um, you know, there's tools and ways to see if people are checking out. Um, and you want to you want to bring people back in and really facilitate that peer to peer learning. So there's tips and tricks to do that, that 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 professional facilitator really needs to, to have. And also things like reading the virtual audience um, to to make sure that different styles, right? There's um, different learning styles, different communication styles. Um, some people who are less comfortable contributing where you've got that person who initially is very comfortable diving in and contributing, you've got to be able to read and bring those people in with some virtual facilitation skills that are a little different than when you're face to face and can see somebody firsthand, you know, checking out um, on their phone or something like that. Absolutely. Just to make sure that you're getting everybody's contributions and not just their communication styles, but also cultural differences as well. You know, I've noticed on on our, our global calls and most most virtual training is global these days that Americans tend to think that silence means acceptance. And that's certainly not the case in a lot of cultures. So just being, and, I, and I've seen you do this, Janice, just really being masterful at drawing people into the conversation of different cultures, maybe English isn't their first language, as well as different styles in a very respectful way. Absolutely. It's so important. I was on a call recently and, um, you know, there were, I'd say, four or five folks who had English as a second language. And the the best practice we applied was to make sure we touched in with the client ahead of time to make sure we understood um, who those participants were. They gave us a list of all the participants and we always ask 
about language issues because if English is not native or whatever language you're in, if many of the participants are not native to that language, you want to understand that those learners might be withdrawn. They'll be a little less comfortable contributing. So there's, there's facilitation tools to pull them in and make them feel comfortable, like using the chat capability um, and, and just having awareness of the different styles that come into play. Yeah, that's a great tip. So Janice, we're talking about the third best practice, which is creating a productive and comfortable virtual experience for participants. What about the technology itself? Anything else that you might add there? Because it's so critical. Yes. We, well, we talked about some of that, but um, a couple of key points here. First of all, you, you want to make sure that you have the right tools and technology platform. Um, for the need at hand. So some of the more sophisticated learning, for example, you might want to have breakout room technology and not all um, learning platforms allow for that. So from a training perspective, you'll want to make sure you've got the right tools. Um, And then being able to ensure, as I mentioned earlier, that learners are ready and feel comfortable. We want to help them overcome that fear of the unknown. Um, And so having the support readily available, we mentioned, But I just want to give a couple of additional tips that really came out of that that really bad experience I had when those (laughs) we got slammed by the business for, you know, a highly ineffective training. Um, So the best practices that came out of that were developing pre-work and explicit checklists and to ensure readiness for the training. Um, So, for example, you know, we send out messages ahead of time to learners that say, make sure you join, come prepared to join on your laptops or desktops versus your phone. Make sure that you don't join the call with somebody that sits next to you because we're going to be using technology where each individual needs to log in on their own. Um, So often, you know, you have learners chiming in together, two or three people sitting around a computer, and then they don't get the benefit of all contributing. So that's an important one to make sure people come, um, you know, each individually signing in, they could do breakouts, they could poll, and then it increases engagement. Um, Ensuring the ability to to globally mute so that... (laughs) Boy, we could have used that one on the call I mentioned, right? Yes, absolutely. And... um, you know, always ensuring, as as we mentioned back, that uh, in some of that pre-work, um, in addition to the technology pieces, ensuring there's a leader message that always connecting back to the why and the relevance. That that's not necessarily a technology tip here, and but we always want to bring it back to that message of tying it uh, always to the why are we doing this and how is it relevant to my day to day. Well, Janice. Thank you so much. That has been just always appreciate your generosity of, of insight. And I know that, you know, we love working with our clients and are certainly happy to talk with them about virtual design and facilitation as well as, as how, you know, we might help develop their team's ability to effectively design and facilitate. And I think this is a really great start. So in summary, virtual, it's not ideal in every situation, but especially as part of a blended approach, it could be extremely effective, um, especially in situations where people can't travel or um, for whatever reason are geographically dispersed and can't come together face to face. 
Also, the design and facilitation of virtual require a very specific skill set, which is different from in-person training. And then we discussed three best practices. You know, number one, how to engage your audience, keeping your session size small, using polling, chatting, uh, shaking things up, keeping people on their toes. Two is have a good, well-thought process in place. Um, whether it's instructor-led or virtual, you need to consider how you're engaging people before, during, and after the training, including coaching them. And then finally, creating a productive and comfortable experience for the learners, uh, making sure that not only your facilitators, but your participants are comfortable with the technology, they know how to use it, they're coming prepared, they know what to expect. So there's no one size fits all solution, but if it's an issue for our clients right now, you know, please give us a call. We certainly love to strategize with our customers to come up with creative quality options that can achieve their objectives. So please feel free to reach out to us at strategicenhancement.com with any of your questions, comments, or tips that you've learned as well. Thanks for joining us today.